25% of all marine life spends time on a coral reef. And the coral reef makes up less than 1% of the sea floor. The ocean has a, a lopsided dependence on the health of the coral reef. And we as humans depend on the health of the ocean. Welcome to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast, brought to you by DonorSearch, the show that takes you inside the lives of thought leaders, innovators, and changemakers in fundraising, philanthropy, and civil society. I'm your host, Jay Frost. In this episode, we speak with Michael Goldberg, co-founder of iCare and one of the top 10 CNN heroes of 2023. Since 2018, iCare has organized coral restoration dives for more than 2,000 people and transplanted over 10,000 coral, both educating the public to the need for ocean restoration and working to bring back the lungs of the world. We speak with him about what inspired his journey to the underwater world and his passion for saving what he discovered there. Uh, I'll begin by, you know, congratulating you on being, I guess, shortlisted, but definitely recognized as one of the top 10 heroes by CNN. And uh, before I get into asking you what effect that has had or might have, can you tell me just a little bit about the organization, how you founded it? Sure, sure. Um, Well, it goes beyond the actual formation. It started a long time ago. Deciding to get into the dive world. I started in finance um, uh, decades ago and decided that uh, scuba diving offered me uh, another way to make a living that wasn't chasing money. And so I fell in love with diving due to the lushness of what I saw underwater. And when I shifted my careers back, and I shifted my career back in the mid 90s, that was the main driving force and over the over the years i saw things deteriorate to such a point where i was faced with a pretty serious decision whether this just wasn't what i wanted anymore and i was pretty much at the point where i was going to retire or i had to get up and do something about it i just couldn't walk away and that's really what the, the crux was for me. And I got to know my co-founder um, who helped provide a pathway for that end. So uh, my, my co-founder, Dr. Kylie Smith, has her PhD in um, coral science from Clemson University. And I had in my mind creating some entity that gave an avenue for folks like me that weren't scientists, a means to rebuilding the coral reef. Give it a chance, allow folks that have never seen what I've seen in my decades in the underwater world, give them a chance to potentially see that sometime into the future. And when she and I would sit down and talk, I would spitball ideas with her. She would bounce ideas off me. And with our mutual contacts, uh, through those contacts, we were able to form our organization, ICARE. Her contacts in the scientific community and my understanding of the diving industry and the demands and the desires of recreational divers. And so it was kind of formed um, with that in mind. And 
we never wanted to lose sight of the science. The science was incredibly important, but also never lose sight of the fact that the majority of recreational divers do care. They do want to be involved and they want to see what it is underwater flourishing and not in continual decline. As you said, a lot of people don't have this experience. So take us back. What was it like when you first went into the water? You were in finance, then you started, I suppose, around that time, scuba diving. What was the original attraction and what was the underwater world like for you then? Well, it was spectacular. Um, I've always been a coral geek. It's always been something that I've been fascinated with. Um, and, you know, 30 some years ago, you could go in and swim in one direction for, you know, half a mile. And you wouldn't see any gaps between the coral. The corals would literally compete for space on the reef. And it was fascinating to see, watch, and understand. Um, and that's what drove me and uh, excited me about diving. Certainly, I love the marine life. The marine life is what's really what's really neat about being underwater versus on land. And I love hiking in the mountains and the woods, and it's something I I still do to this day. But you have to go seek out the the animal life and hope that you catch a glimpse. But when you, when you stick your face in the water and you get down to the bottom, the fish are in your face. They're all around you. It's, it's the first time I ever dived, um, going back, um, you know, almost 40 years ago. That's what I saw. I was like, wow, this is cool. I, I grew up in the West hiking Yosemite, Yellowstone. And yeah, you might see, catch a glimpse of something pretty cool, but this was, right there, almost able to touch. And that was something I had never experienced. So the marine life is certainly a major draw, but the corals were gorgeous. Um, and today, unfortunately, it's the, the basis for eye care and the work that we're doing. Um, it isn't that way anymore. So when was that moment that you, you really saw the difference? Sometimes when something is happening, somewhat gradually or we're experiencing it every day and so you know maybe we become a little bit uh immune to the change but was there a moment where you where you recognized how great a change there had been and it caused you to have this this epiphany and you decide you needed to do something yeah there absolutely was um in roughly 2016 2017 um there was a, a quite a virulent disease for a lack of a better name, they call it stony coral tissue stony coral tissue loss disease. And all the other prior diseases that you might see attacking a coral, they're very, very slow. Um, it will take years for one coral head to succumb to a disease. So, like you said, you know, a very slow progression. Um, but stony coral tissue loss disease could take a 500-year-old coral head and it would be dead in 30 to 45 days. And you were watching it die every time you go in the water and you see more death. And so that was a turning point where that disease being so virulent was wiping out more coral in a 12-month period than all my years combined prior. So, yeah, it was an absolute turning point. And it, 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 it 
it hits you in a way that, uh, you know, when you see something that dramatic, and without knowing what to do, we didn't even know what it was. It was so early on in the days. We now know what it is. We don't know how to stop it. But um, we didn't even know what was happening. We were we were at the at the leading edge of this disease spread, and yeah, it hit us hard. And then. I kept asking questions, asking questions, what's happening, who knows, what's this, what's that, how do we stop it, what can we do to educate ourselves, to prevent spread. Um, and then when I realized all these things, you're fighting an uphill battle, that there's only real one clear way to solve the problem, and that is uh, the, the path that we're on. Um, that's when I realized we can put these pieces of this puzzle together make it work with the proper science, with the proper structure, and hopefully solve this problem long-term. Much of the discussion about uh, the, the bleaching of the reef uh, in the mainstream press has to do with climate change, which I know is a major factor. But it sounds like there are a lot of things that you're looking at maybe before I even ask you, what are those things and how uh, is it that science is addressing them? How is your organization trying to help people to engage with it and address them? It's just to ask, why is this important? For those who see uh, coral as something that's already dead and lacking in color and sitting on a shelf, describe a little bit about why coral is important, what it looks like. You just described it as a living creature, which is not the experience of people who have not been in the water as you have. Why is this important? What is coral really? So there's an easy way to put this. Um, think about someone who's in Chicago or St. Louis. Why is it important to someone in St. Louis? Um, and it's not a part of, they don't see it as part of their daily life. Uh, it's the best way to think of it is that every living thing on the planet is supported by the ocean. Uh, another way to put it maybe is that it's, it's the lungs of the globe, right? And with that, knowing that the world depends on a healthy ocean for its existence, um, the corals depend, or the ocean depends on the coral. So every marine, every, um, what is the better way to think of it, 25% of all marine life spends time on a coral reef. And the coral reef makes up less than 1% of the sea floor. So the ocean has a, a lopsided dependence on the health of the coral reef. And we as humans depend on the health of the ocean. It, you can break it down further. There are obviously economies that depend on it. There's um, food sources that um, in, in subsistence areas. Um, there's all sorts of lower level things, but for the globe, for the person that goes down to the grocery store is thinking about how they're going to pay that bill. Where does uh, pay for that, that grocery bill? Where does the coral reef come into play and why is it important to me? That's how right there. And then in terms of feeling like there's something we can do about it, you came to this, this decision that you needed to change things because you were witnessing the change. So how is it, how is it that through the organization you're able to help people see a way that they can interact with this problem and and make a difference so that 
we can retain the lungs of the world? Um, well, empowering a, a, a recreational diver from Dallas, who whatever they do for a living comes down on a vacation and learns the correlation between the coral reef and their daily life, and that they get to actually be a citizen scientist for the day. We teach them everything we can in a morning session about the history of the reef, the science behind the corals that we're putting down, the resilience of those corals, how we've developed these corals to be resilient and resistant to the current threats. They they go out for the afternoon. They have the corals in their hand, and they're out there mixing epoxy and gluing gluing those corals down. Um, we're drilling holes into the substrate to to secure different types of of corals. Um, they're hammering nails to secure corals to nails. There's multiple ways that they're involved, and they can see if they come back the results of that work a year, two, three years later, and. Uh, it, it is a it's a slow process. Don't get me wrong. I and mean, you don't see a full transformation of a reef in a year. It's it's just impossible. But they can see the difference uh, a year later and two years later. And they get to bring that back home to their friends and tell their friends what they did on the vacation. You know, I went scuba diving, but no, what did I do? Especially for kids, they get to come back and, and tell their classmates, what did I do? I was planting coral. And that helps spread the message. Um, recognize, they recognize the need. Their teachers and educators recognize the need. And then all of a sudden, you have divisions in schools, which is now starting to pop up, where not just here in Florida, where we're very close to it, but other places um, around the country where they have marine science programs now in school to help develop these types of ideas so that kids understand the importance of the ocean world. And it's it's pretty neat to see happening. I mean, when I was growing up, that never happened. It never came to the surface. No one even thinks about that. And now it's it's a common course study in a high school. It's pretty gritty work, the, the work you're describing, and but it sounds like a lot of fun. Um, there's a lot that goes into it before those um, kind of citizen scientists uh, arrive and get on the boat with you. You were describing yesterday something about growing and then planting the coral. So what's going on um, kind of behind the scenes so that you have stuff to, to, to bring back uh, into, the, into the ecosystem and, and grow again? Um, yeah, there's a lot that goes on before they, those corals actually make it out to the ocean for sure. Um, so with our partners, we work together. Um, we Our partners are Mulberry Laboratories, um, Florida Aquarium, Reef Institute, Reef Renewal, uh, a, a number of these organizations that we've partnered with to assist them on their deliverables. So um, we go with, we apply for joint grants where their expertise is rearing coral. Our expertise is providing the masses to put the corals down and do all of the maintenance and monitoring and follow-up and reporting of that data. So, um, whereas at, at present, we do not grow our own coral. Um, we work with others that 
have perfected these technologies and perfected the science. And we work together to rebuild the reefs. In addition, beyond just growing the coral, we have a lot that has to happen before the corals actually go out. So we have to do all of our all of our surveys. So we do invertebrate surveys, fish studies. Um, we have to lay out transects, measuring where we're going to put the corals, the species, where they go based on depth, uh, turbidity, um, um, light, different corals like it in certain areas and don't like it in others. Uh, some require more shading, some require more uh, sun exposure, some require more uh, water motion. And all of that goes into the decision of where we're going for the day with the species that we have in hand as well. So there's a lot to it. We don't expect the recreational diver to have any part in that. Uh, that's That would be impossible. That's for us to, having spent decades in the water, we have a pretty good understanding of all that. Um, it's pretty easy for us to know that. Um, and so it's kind of the behind the scenes, once they get into the water, we just lay it out for them and they're actually just doing the physical mechanical effort of putting that piece of coral down, which is like you said, it, it's fun. It's quite fulfilling and uh, very gratifying to, to us in the industry to watch. What's the biggest challenge in this? I mean, as you look down and you see what's been accomplished to date, in fact, I, I didn't ask you when this uh, official effort started, but from that time until now, um, have you seen the kind of progress you wish to see? And, and what's the remaining challenge that you're trying to overcome? Uh, uh, there's so many challenges. It's hard to, it, it's really hard to encapsulate, encapsulate that in, in a single response, I'll be honest. Um, um, so there's environmental challenges that, that we deal with um, from runoff, farming, um, it's a huge issue, right? Um, sea temperatures, obviously, it's a major effect. Um, you know, those are so encompassing and so huge. Um, and developing a coral for the future, predicting what those problems are going to be so that it can withstand and grow despite what we anticipate the future to be is a massive challenge and um it the success is it's it's you know two steps forward one step back right and some some cases two steps forward two steps back so we we have a lot of we don't you can't say that the coral they're going to put down today yeah that's that's going to work um some species it's very difficult. Some species, it's not. Um, so those are those are big challenges that, in many cases, are out of our control. All we can control is testing the corals before they go out. Make sure they're as tough as they can be, um, and then, with our understanding and knowledge, we put them in what we believe to be in the right location, and then, of course, we monitor. 100% of every coral fragment we put down. So we monitor at one week, one month, and one year intervals. And we've, we've put down about, this in the last two and a half years, um, about 16,000 coral fragments. 
And the demand for that monitoring just grows exponentially. So that is a, a big challenge. So the the more that we put down, the more demands we put on ourselves. And that monitoring is critical because as a, uh, as a restoration practitioner, we have to support the entire industry with that data so that we all share. So we all know what's working at that time and what isn't working so that we don't make mistakes that others and, and uh, may have made, right? And by no fault of their own, trust me, um, it, mistakes happen just because you're learning. But we do have fabulous successes. Don't get me wrong, but it is, it is a, uh, there is those difficulties. I mean, you can always say money is an issue, but I, this, with, with as big uh, of an issue as the coral reef is now, I mean, I think the best estimates, the world has lost over half of, uh, of all living coral. Um, there's more and more um, energy being put toward these efforts globally. There's more and more money going toward these efforts globally because we all recognize how important of a role they play in the health of the ocean. And no one wants to try to figure out what it's going to be like if we lose our coral reefs. Um, it, it's not a good, it's not going to be a good place. It's like losing, it's like losing, we talk about the lungs of the world. I mean, it's like losing, um, you know, the rainforest, right? I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to imagine a world without our rainforest. We don't want to imagine a world without our coral reefs either. Uh, either would be you know, catastrophic for our, our, our daily life. So uh, those are some of the challenges, and there are many. <laughs> um, what are some of the ways that you're trying to um, enable people to support the organization, support your work, so that you can do more monitoring, plant more coral, and interact more with your partners? So we do all sorts of things in our community um, to draw awareness and um, bring people into the fold. One of the more unique things that I'm crazily taking on um, as, as a way of drawing awareness. I'm putting on what we call a trash derby. You might think that's a kind of an odd thing to do, considering that we're focused on coral. But um, marine debris is, is a huge issue. You, you, hear about it, you hear about it on the news. Um, it's not an uncommon thing for people to, to know, especially when you live near the water. You just see it gather up. And so I had this idea to uh, to bring all of the keys together in an effort to help clean up underwater and on the shore. And uh, I've chartered every dive boat from Key West to Key Largo, which is in excess of 100 miles. Um, and it's a lot of boats. Um, and also run a shoreline division. This is I'm not doing this by myself, to, to be fair. I, I've got uh, we have a, a couple of other people that are uh, integral in making this happen. Um, it, it's kind of my job to, to be on the top line to make sure all the partners come to it, all the dive shops come in, and all the money is there so that um, it, it, we can pull this off. Um, but it draws attention to what we're doing. So we we're, thankfully, the, the Tourist Development Council has given us a significant amount of money. We'll be running national ads to support people coming from around the country to come here, dive for a weekend. They don't even have to pay. It's free for the whole weekend. And we're exposing all of these people that see this and come here 
to the need to restore coral reefs. And that is a fundraiser. Um, it draws uh, corporate sponsors. It brings them into the fold. And it brings individual divers that want to come out and help and then see that, oh, I can actually be out there planting coral next week, the week after. I, I want to keep coming back and be a part of this. So there's it have it works on multiple levels, but all in an effort to draw awareness, help us raise money, and keep people coming to get, get down and dirty and get underwater and hammer some nails and mix some epoxy. I, I'm I'm wondering as you're living through this experience and then seeing that impact, what you imagine the impact being in the future. I mean that that kind of that you know, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, maybe even the time when neither of us are, are here. And, <laughs> but you've done all this work. What do you imagine it could look like for that next generation of not just divers, but those folks in Chicago who have never been underwater? What do you imagine is the final vision, uh, the impact you're going to have? It's a really hard question to answer. Um, I, I can I can look at it a couple of ways. I, I I want it to be self-sustained. The the ultimate goal for the for the reef is it is for it to be self-sustaining. I don't know if it's ever going to look, and I don't think it will ever look like what I saw decades ago. I don't I don't think so. I don't think we're going to get to that much of a happy place. Um, you know the climate change is is pretty tough and we don't know exactly what to expect um but for it to be self-sustaining is really my ultimate goal so that it takes about you know from the corals that we put down um between seven to ten years after a coral becomes large enough to where it can spawn and create more coral right it's a long time down the road. So we're um, 10 years before, before it's going to start spawning to create more coral. Once a coral larvae settles on an empty area on the, on the substrate, for that one coral larvae to asexually reproduce to a point where it can reproduce is probably 20-some years down the road, right? So it's a long time for the, the reef to be self-sustaining, but that really is my ultimate goal. I won't be here. I understand that. Um, but to give it that fighting chance is really why I'm doing what I'm doing. Um, I know when you started all this diving, it was, it was I'm sure, just because it was so great. It was so much fun and it's so different from the life you were living before professionally. Yes. You were in the water, I'm sure, yesterday the day before you'll be there again today what gives you the joy now my drive in what i do is exciting others to help us talking to people and getting them excited and seeing them light up is what drives me you know there was the uh in the CNN piece, the video, there was a, a young gal that was interviewed. Um, I can't, I don't recall her name. Um, 
It was the first time that she had ever dived with us as in, in my dive operation or been involved with uh, our coral work. And she came to that day, not knowing that CNN was going to be filming. She had no idea. She had booked that trip, you know, sometime in advance. But she came just to do that. That's why she wanted to dive. She's in high school. I think she was a junior in high school at the time. And listening to her speak is, and, and her excitement about trying to do something for the future, where she will actually be the one who gets to see the real fruits of the work that goes in. That's what drives me. And when I'm underwater, I, I like being underwater, don't get me wrong, but it, it's, it's a harder time for me. Right. I mean, what I what I see now isn't isn't what got me to do what I do uh, as a as a dive professional, um, you know, some, you know, 30 years ago. That That's not what what I see here today isn't what put me underwater. And I if you if you stuck me in today, not knowing anything that I know, would I have would I change my career to do this? I don't know. I'm not so sure I would have. Right. Um, so it's not like that I don't enjoy it. Um, I, I really enjoy the interactions with the marine life, but I really enjoy the interactions with people. That's what really excites me. And when they're excited about being part of something bigger than themselves, I'm all in. The Philanthropy Masterminds podcast is underwritten by DonorSearch, the world leader in donor intelligence solutions. Our producer is Jack Frost. Our theme music is Be My Remedy, composed and performed by House of Say. You can subscribe to the Philanthropy Masterminds podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can find blogs, webcasts, and CFRE accredited webinars with our featured masterminds at DonorSearch.net or check the show notes and descriptions.